I'm Jesse Lubinsky. I'm Donnie Piercy. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Heil, hosts of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, not so long ago, my, uh, my wedding band broke. That's right. And it was unrepairable. Well, that was crazy. And, you know, and boonrings.com came to my rescue. That's Boon Titanium Rings. You can find them at boonrings.com. And uh, by the way, they're now a, an affiliate partner of ours, but I also use them. My wedding band is now one of their rings, and it's really cool. It's laser engraved and has these, these neat stars on it and pistons. But they came to my rescue, and I got to tell you what's really cool, and it's in the name itself, they make titanium rings. This is not going to break, right? <laughs> no way. So not only can you have them personalized, but you can have them engraved, you can have them carved, you can have uh, you can have them, uh, you know, designs with uh, um, wood, meteorite, stone, precious metals, acrylic, and uh, other inlays. You can also have uh, uh, these neat rings that uh, I mean, just wait till you see the the black zirconium and stealth series rings. I mean, those are just way too cool. And, and, you know, and they also make some really cool tool earrings, pendants, and cufflinks. Yeah, Boon Rings is pretty cool. That's right. You ought to go to boonrings.com. And they're an affiliate partner of ours, which means that if you go to checkout and you use my code, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. So you want to use all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. So once again, you use my code, which is all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. At checkout, you'll get a 10% discount. That's right. And uh, you'll help out the podcast because we'll get a commission. So go to boonrings.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Lucille Burbank, the author of The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street. Dr. Lucille is a successful educational media consultant whose work experiences include consulting with the Sesame Workshop and NASA, as well as many others. Dr. Lucille was recently honored as author of the decade and inducted into the Hall of Fame of the International Association of Top Professionals. We're focused today on her book, The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street. This is such an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. It, it Just an incredible walk down memory lane. You're going to love this. If you ever watch Sesame Street, you're going to love this conversation. I kid you not. Thanks for listening. By the way, don't forget, it would be awesome if you went into that app that you're listening to me on and you rated and reviewed the podcast. Huh? What do you think? Go ahead. Please <laughs> enjoy. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, <laughs> negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. 
The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmaletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Lucille Burbank is a successful educational media consultant and author. She has uh, created this awesome book that you're about to hear about called The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street. This is in a third edition. And Sesame Street has existed for 50 plus years. And she was a consultant on that show, worked in the research division. So, you know, the recipient of a doctoral degree from Temple University, Dr. Burbank has worked in educational media and technology towards the advancement of education, special education for several decades. Receiving a scholarship while earning her doctorate allowed her to conduct a much larger dissertation study on three prominent children's television shows, Captain Kangaroo, love it, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, oh yeah, <laughs> and Sesame Street, cool. All right, this is, this is my childhood, man. You're, all this stuff that you worked on, this is awesome. I know, isn't that great? But, Lucille, Dr. Lucille was recently honored as author of the decade and in, inducted into the Hall of Fame of the International Association of Top Professionals. Oh, that's so cool. As she received the Albert Nelson Marquis Lifetime Achievement Award, was named top female executive by Worldwide Branding, and has served as a delegate for the International Women's Le- Leadership Association. She recently published also a new edition for her educational pamphlet called 52 Tips for Parents, Guide Your Children to Safe TV and Electronic Media. Raised in Larchmont, New York, she now resides in San Diego, California. For, and for more information, please consult www.teachingkidstolove.com. Today, we're focused on Dr. Book, Burbank's book, The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street. Dr. Lucille, welcome to the show. And Oh, thank you so much. It, it is wonderful to be here. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you here, and I love your book. This is so cool. And like I said in the beginning, this is my childhood. This is, you know, I, I grew up, I'm in my, uh, my late 50s, and... Uh, you know, so I, uh, this is all these, you, just reading just at the beginning and throughout the whole book. I mean, I'm, I'm zapping down memory lane like there's no tomorrow. And uh, could you start us off by talking about your dissertation study where you looked at Captain Kangaroo, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and Sesame Street? I mean, could you t- talk a little bit about a little bit what you learned? Oh, yeah, that was quite, that was quite something. Um, when you go uh, for a doctorate, Um, and you're doing a dissertation, you have to find something that no one else has done. It's kind of like a peg and a pegboard. And so I came across this idea and I said, oh my gosh, I can, and especially with my scholarship, interview all these wonderful people. I mean, you know, the staff of Captain Kangaroo, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street. And it was quite something. What I mainly learned is each show is particular and it's successful for its own reasons. 
and you can't compare them. But also, too, what I learned about Captain Kangaroo was that it was a precursor to Sesame Street because Bob Keeshan, the creator of this show, he really believed in educating children, thought it was very important, and anything could be, um, any subject matter could be uh, given to them be, as long as it's on their level and they could understand any concept. And so he called that enrichment or educational elements, but he, and it was, it wasn't a formal curriculum like what happened on Sesame Street, but it was a precursor and no one really realized it. And so what's interesting too, was when I interviewed those on Sesame Street, they had all worked on Captain Kangaroo before. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Which is really interesting. So they took what Bob Keeshan had been doing and what they had learned and were trained to do, and they switched it to Sesame Street. And here we have a beautiful curriculum, uh, mostly of cognitive subject matter, uh, to give all the children, especially the um, poor children who could not afford preschool, a head start in learning and loving education. That's so awesome. And I, I, I just got to tell you, because one of the things that as soon as we started going down this, I'm like, you know, because Captain Kangaroo was just, there was a little bit of insanity to it. And one of the things that I loved about that was, you know, at some point, Mr. Moose is going to get everybody with the ping pong balls. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, my gosh, those ping pong balls. And then, of course, um, as you mentioned before, we have Gus Allegretti, who was the puppeteer and uh, for Mr. Moose and so on. And he would talk about how the the creator of the puppets would keep the face very uh, blank nothing too elaborate for the expression because the child would go there with his or her imagination and make the expression and create the expression. So he gives the example of a uh, child or a mother saying, hey, you know, um, I saw uh, Moose's eyes close. <laughs> and, and he says, no, they don't close. <laughs> yes, they do. Absolutely. Yes, they do. And that is the beauty, isn't it? It really is, because it tells you, you know, and it's funny because when I read that part of the book, I went, I thought they closed, too. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I just, you know, Mr. Mer and, I, and so that means that Mr. Squirrel, I think his eyes were just like buttons or something. I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah, they had a new um, creator of the puppets, a new cre um, puppet maker is what I'm looking at. And he really said, I'm going to make them very plain because the children will put on the expressions. And, and Gus said to me, you know, those are pearls of wisdom. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> that's, that's, the shows are incredible. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, today we're focused on your book, The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street, third edition. Uh, tell us about your role with Sesame Street. What'd you do? Oh, you know, I started really as an intern. I always, being in educational media, I wanted to, and loving children, I always wanted to work on Sesame Street. I heard about it 
way back when it debuted November 10, 1969. So my doctoral advisor said, well, let's plan a field trip. So we did. And I talked with Valeria Lovelace, Dr. Valeria Lovelace, who was the assistant vice president of research. And she said, let's see what you can do. So anyway, to get the, you know, your feet in the door. So I interned for the summer. Um, I was living in Southern New Jersey. So it was about two hours by bus each way. So it's four hours a day um, commuting. But to me, it was worth it. And then they liked my work, so they hired me. Now, as a consultant, you have to see what's needed. And in the research department, they were writing up studies, a lot of the studies in an informal manner, like in a newsletter, and that is fine for some studies. But others on fire safety, child abuse, needed more formal write-up. And so what I did is, is implement that as well as other things too. Very cool. What a, what a neat experience. The, uh, it was, it was, you know, it's icing on the cake if you're in educational media. I got mean. that right. That's so cool. Hey, uh, yeah. So I got to get you early in the book. One of the things when you're talking to different people involved in the show and you're talking about what made it work, one of the things you hear a lot is that trust played a big deal in making Sesame Street work. Could you talk about that that role that, yeah. that where they were yeah. going with that? Yeah, um, you know everybody. Um, you have to have good people working on any show, as Sam Gibbon said, the associate producer. Um, you know, you can do with less money, you can do with less time, but you can't do it with bad people. So that's where trust comes in. When you have the good people, everybody is trusting each other. And they are almost like a synergy develops. And so everybody is more than the sum of their parts. And you've got this inspirational atmosphere happening. And everyone wants to create the best work they can because they love what they're doing. But also there is a respect for children in themselves. In other words, you don't go from working with children to adults. Working with children, as Jane Henson would say, is the mature work in itself. And they just believed in that and the respect for children. And also there was never any condescending tone. I am talking to you at the same level. I maybe have to change my vocabulary or the pictures I show you, but you can, but still it's as sophisticated and as it is as high quality as I would do for any adult. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so no, cool. It, the high quality for children was really stood out in making Sesame Street um, very successful because they, you know, children's programming and TV is, is um, was and, and in some ways still not all the time, but in low Low man on the totem pole. So they said, hey, let's go there and let's give them high quality and let's see what we can do with the potential of TV. Yeah, it's cool because you can tell it. You can tell it, especially having seen it for so many years and as it, you know, to progress with it as it's gone through its 50 plus years. I mean, it's so awesome. You know, 
Uh, And speaking of which, I mean, Sesame Street is the longest running educational children's television program, which debuted more than 50 years ago. So what do you think is that key thing? I mean, why did it last so long? Okay. I think because of its television model, it had this television model that had three main elements. One, the character, the appeal of the Muppets. They were very appealing. They had their own characteristics. And um, of course, that's always appealing, you know, when you develop characters uh, to adults as well as children. The other thing was that research and producers work side by side. It was a model, and this was a model of trust. Joan Cooney, the co-creator of Sesame Street would say, take a producer to lunch to the researchers and vice versa. And they would develop trust in each other. And that became very important. And I'll explain why after I tell you the third third one, and because it was so researched, I mean, Sesame Street is one of the most researched television programs, adult or children's in the history of television. And so they could blend, which was unusual, they could blend entertainment with education expertly and create a a feeling of learning is fun, which of course is important. But getting back to the trust, all right. Uh, in 1968, about a year, year, year and a half before it went on the air, or about a year anyway, um, Dr. Palmer, the co-creator of Sesame Street Research, he said to, to the producers, let's try teaching the letter J and let's see what we can do. And it came and they did what they intuitively knew. I mean, it wasn't based on research and it came back and Dr. Palmer said, oh my gosh, the kids, he went out in the field, the kids learned the entertainment, the rhythm, the music, but not the letter J. (laughs) He said, because letter J is out there, maybe um, upper left screen. And then all the entertainment with the June bug dancing and all that is on the lower right-hand screen. And we can't have this. We have to integrate it. So they did. The producers went back to the drawing board. And Dr. Palmer, when I interviewed him, he'd always say to me, you know, I'd give him a grade. And that would spur him on. So when I found that, of course, they got a C, practically a D. And they went back and he said, you know, you have to integrate the, the character, the letter as a character in the whole thing. So then we've got Kermit the Frog with the letter W and, the, and Kermit's lecturing about the letter W and the W's slowly coming towards Kermit. And he's talking about wander and walk and so forth. And then all of a sudden this, this W um, hits Kermit or, or, you know, hits him over the head and is going at him with a bat or something, a little bit like a cartoon character. And Kermit goes, oh, whoa, it's me. Oh, my gosh. And it's a little bit more elaborate, but at any rate, you get the feeling. And so then, um, you know, that's how they did it. But the, the thing is, if they hadn't developed trust, this couldn't have come about and they couldn't have researched it. 
And it would have um, been a kind of a disaster in terms of teaching even the letter J or anything else. <laughs> I love that. And by the way, when, when you gave that example of the W, I, I remember that one. Oh my gosh. Yes. Cause the W it's kind of ominously coming up and then kind of whaps. A couple times and I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> it is. It's awesome. It, it is. And um, so, so when I was interviewing Dr. Palmer, he would say to me, you know, I just give him a grade maybe a B plus and they keep working for an A. And it was neat because it was based on research. So it wasn't always their intuition. They were basing what they knew on facts, on reality. And not Dr. Palmer explained to me, not one of the people uh, in the research or producers, you know, they said, oh my gosh, I thought this would be right on and it isn't. Or I thought it would be over their heads and the children got it, or I thought it would be neat them, and it was perfect. So all of that is wonderful. It's wonderful. It's so cool, you know. And it, and it, and I got to tell you, as I started reading, I mean, and and definitely before I started reading, I was going down. I was telling you this before. I'm going down memory lane as all kinds of things are flying because I, lots of it still stays in my. I find some reason to reference something that's from Sesame Street somewhere back, and you know, and, and you never know when you're going to come up with things like because my all-time favorite. Muppet learning sessions have to do with Grover and the little blue guy in the restaurant. And oh, wasn't that funny? Oh, it was hilarious. One of them <laughs> one was about fly in the soup. And of course, that's in and under and around and that type of thing. And then there's the uh, alphabet soup and the the <laughs> Grover and the little blue guy. Hey, Charlie. And, you know, <laughs> he's a strange one, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, you know, that's those, <laughs> those, those little interactions were hilarious. And, you know, it's, it's something that I wanted to mention is that something that's quite evident from growing up with Sesame Street is that there's humor and, and educational content, which is so cool. And I got to, I got to make sure I mention this one because whenever I come to this, this is one that uh, I used to have fun singing with my kids when, when, when they were little is uh, there's one where Kermit is interviewing. He's, he's the, you know, he's a reporter on the street and he's getting ready to talk with Don music and Don music is working on a new song about a Mary had a little lamb and, uh, and, you know, at the end, they end up screwing up the whole song and they make a new one. And it goes something like this. Mary had a bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. Anyway, and, you know, whenever Mary oh, wanted to go. fun. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's just funny because all those words come flying back to you. And it's so cool, the impact that it, that it had. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the design of the content? I mean, there's this humor and educational content. And that's. Yeah, you know, uh, John Stone, who was called the soul of Sesame Street, said, We're in the, in the funny business. We're in the <laughs> laughing business. And it's true. It's true. The humor is unbelievable. And it is so attracting because we all need to laugh. And uh, the other thing that's so beautiful about it is that uh, Sesame Street was written on a multi-level, uh, two, two levels of communication, one for the parent and one for the child. So, you know, we could make um, satirical jokes or do parodies for the parent and the child's looking at the mother or father and wondering why he or she is laughing, <laughs> you know, and then we get the child, but also celebrities, Burt Lancaster, James Earl Jones, who has this presence, as we know, 
uh, audio presence and so forth. And when James Earl Jones did the, I think it was the alphabet or numbers, something like that, they called it because of his presence and the way he presented it, they called it the James Earl Jones effect. And everybody was trying to copy that. (laughs) Um, So it is wonderful. In terms of Grover, what I have to tell you is uh, Frank Oz, um, who was right, who was Jim Henson's right-hand man, was the puppeteer for Grover and the voice. Now, we've all watched Star Wars, right? Right, right. Okay, if you listen to Yoda, Yoda sounds a bit like Grover. Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Oz did Yoda. But I'm sitting there listening to, I'm going, wait a minute here. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love that. It's like. I know, I know. And it's so that joy and that humor and that child innocence that permeates Sesame Street and uh, that makes and everybody has you know needs to uh, retain and acquire that child innocence that that going there with joy every moment of the day and th- so that is why it is also a delight and successful. It's so cool I and mean, it's just like I mean the you know the there's so many just different characters and and so forth that they 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 created in that show and the like you said it's the, the adult can be sitting there watching it with a kid and start laughing about you know something that cookie monsters doing or uh, there's some funny little jokes and one I'll never forget has to do with Casey Jones and and uh, the story of Casey Jones the engineer and you know cookie monsters the engineer he's Casey Jones and he, <laughs> he makes some little offhand comments that are hilarious that just you know, as a kid, you just get the whole stick that's happening, but it's uh, it's good stuff. So, yeah, you know, the, the humor is really beautiful. The writers on Sesame Street and a lot of them didn't have children, but the writing is stunning. And um, John Stone would comment about that. The writers were great. And the reason we had Jim, uh, they had rather Jim Henson come with the Muppets is because they said, hey, these Muppets, they have vitality, they have charm, they have character, you know, you can create characterizations with them. And this will be a wide, wide view for the writer's imagination. I mean, the writers can just go there with their imaginations using the Muppets. And also they discovered that puppets or Muppets can do things better than adults can do. For instance, uh, Cookie Monster can sell his soul to the devil for a cookie, but you wouldn't have an actor do that <laughs> or an actress. You know, you wouldn't have a live uh, person on Sesame Street do that. And the count can count grains of sand. And this would not be feasible <laughs> or believable, rather, for a human being. I got to tell you, there are plenty of people in uh, that have known me over the years that are pretty sure I've lost my mind because, you know, anytime <laughs> I can flip back to something like, I love to count one, two, three, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love the count. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. And, and my son growing up with Sesame Street. Um, I remember an incident where uh, it was taught, it was doing triangles. And the thing that's so beautiful about the content is you can take a triangle, 
just one simple triangle and you can go all over the place with its three sides and its shapes and you have it dancing and it is beautiful. And so it's kind of like less is more in a sense. And so anyway, my son was watching uh, Sesame Street and, you know, mother worked there and everything. So we had to watch it. And um, he finishes this, this uh, segment on the triangle and, and we're going into the bedroom and the sun is streaming through at an angle, um, creating a triangle on the rug. And he points to it and says, triangle, mother, triangle. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and that transfer of learning was so, so wonderful. Most definitely. It's so cool. And, you know, it, I had a, a, just, I think just that magic of the, the Muppets. And like you said, they can basically any sort of thing and the, you know, not just the Muppets, but then also the cartoons and the animation. There's just so many different things that happen on that show that uh, the writing just engaged just engaged. Well, everybody them. was having a ball, as you can tell. Everybody was having fun. Most definitely. And that's that was so cool because it's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you could, I mean, it just, there's no way they weren't having fun. I guess that's a funny thing. You know? <laughs> and it's, it's funny because they also kind of compete with each other. You know, Jeff Moss, who was the head writer, but then became the songwriter, he was the one who did Rubber Ducky. Ah. He would compete with Joe Raposo, uh, and they did end up producing a songbook together. Nice. But they would go there, and Joe Raposo would said to him, "Rubber Ducky will never, never succeed." You know, and he says, "Just you wait, just you wait." And it, it, it climbed the charts. Oh, that it did. I mean, I, I can sing it for you, Rubber Ducky. You're the one. You make that time lots of fun. Oh, yeah, so forth, so on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's great to hear you sing. And also, you know, Joe Raposo, that being green. Oh, yeah. When yes. we talk about mental participation in music and that someday, as as um, Bob McGrath said, who was um, an actor on Sesame Street from its beginning, he said, you know, someday a child's going to say, hey, that can be about me. I can be black. I can be white. I can be green. I can be deaf. I can be uh crippled but it's okay i really like being me it's awesome that's such a powerful song and isn't it's, it and and joe raposo did that and he hated writing lyrics but that's <laughs> one of the most beautiful ones it sure is i mean you can't you can't watch i mean it, if you move forward past sesame street to the muppet movie with kermit and that song you know you can't not have a tear in your eye with um, yeah, um, Carol Spinney, the late Carol Spinney, who played Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch for over 46 years, um, he sang that nice. at Jim Henson's uh, memorial. And um, it, 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 there wasn't a dry eye in the audience, you know, in, in there. I can imagine. I can imagine. The, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, speaking of uh, Big Bird, by the way, no one could talk about Sesame Street without at some point thinking about Big Bird. Uh, and it's kind of cool because you have a section where it specifically focuses on Big Bird. And I was wondering if you could talk about the development of, of Bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was really interesting. Jim thought of Big Bird as kind of a yokel. And he was in the beginning and all, all um, the Muppets and things 
evolve and become into what we know them today. And Big Bird was one of them. He was this, this kind of uneducated, thin looking bird, not very many feathers. And um, so at any rate, that was in the beginning, but you know, no one was liking it. And Carol Spinney was just, I mean, he considers Jim a genius, but he said it really needs to be a consistent character needs to be filled out a little bit more appealing. So Kermit Love, by the way, what a, uh, a name, Kermit Love, the caretaker of big of the Big Bird costume, or Muppet, um, called him in. And, and Carol Spinning, by the way, was getting a little bit, um, well, it was hard in the beginning days because he was sleeping on someone's couch. He wasn't making a lot of money. He didn't kind of like the way Big Bird was looking. And so he was a stairway away from resigning, wow. telling Jim Henson, I'm leaving Sesame Street. I'm going back to, I don't know, Boston or Bozo the Clown or wherever I was before. And Kermit Love stops him just one stairway down and says, come in here and see what I'm doing with this costume, how I'm filling it out and so forth. And um, <clears throat> that was the beginning of Carol Spinney working there for many, many more years. That's so cool. It's what an incredible story too, to think that uh, easily could have not happened. <laughs> we could have done exactly. <laughs> it, really, it was literally a stairway away. That's and amazing. Kermit Love going there saying, hey, come in here for a second. And then he convinced Carol Spinney to keep going. That's so cool. By the way, I had to do a double take on that, that section of the book. I'm like, the frog? No, no, it's not the frog. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's cool. It's neat. Yeah, what a great, great name to fit right in with the, with everything going on there. So cool. I know, yeah. I know. I had to look it up. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of people think Kermit, the, the name of Kermit was from... Kermit Love, but no, uh-uh-uh. This was, uh, Jim Henson did Sam and Friends, an early television show. And he met a sound engineer by the name of Kermit. And he turns around as he's being introduced uh, to the staff and he turns around to his wife, Jane, and says, that's it. That's what we'll name the frog, Kermit. <laughs> and there's where the, came, the name came. That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have to talk about the humans because because there were humans that were oh, on, the, yes, on the show. Yes, and they're very important. <laughs> yes, and uh, and not that any of them weren't more important than others, but my three favorite were Bob, Luis, and Gordon. All right. And, and, and you know, how were humans cast and and what was their role in the beginning? I mean, because, you know, it, it, it seems like you could easily get overshadowed by, you know, some something going on with uh, Oscar or Bird or or you know, Cookie Monster yeah. or something. Well, they didn't really imagine the Muppets becoming as popular as they have come. <laughs> you know, as Dave Connell, the executive producer of Sesame Street, said to me, we didn't want Sesame Street to have a star, but the Muppets became a star. And, uh, okay, so one of the reasons that, um, I mean, these wonderful actors and live people on the show. And it's very important, by the way, to have live people on the show. And I'll explain that a little bit more. But what they were doing, what they were um, 
How they were picked is how the children responded to them. If the children liked them, if the children felt good, there was a child audience. Um, if, if they were relating to the children the way they should be relating to the children, not in a condescending fa fashion, but just really, you're just like me and I'm interested in you as a person. But the main reason um, that we need live people is to show things like tolerance. Yes, Sesame Street taught the, taught the cognitive intellectual things, shapes, numbers, letters, and, and so forth. But it also taught in the beginning tolerance, all kinds of people getting along, loving each other, living together, helping each other. And so then we could go there with the tolerance of different ethnicities, but also bullying, sharing, cooperation. And those can only be shown by live people. Um, just like the Muppets can only do certain things that the people can't, live actors can do certain things that only they can do. And that is why though in every children's program, we need live people to show what the world can look like, to show all these helpers. Um, as um, Fred Rogers said when I interviewed him, Lucille, look for the helpers, always look for the helpers. His mother would say to him, look for the helpers. So when Fred Rogers came out of retirement during 9-11, one of the biggest messages he said, look at the firemen, the fire people, the fire women, men, look at the helpers, everybody. Focus on that, not anything else. That's awesome. It's powerful, so powerful. And, it, you know, and yeah. you're right, because you think about many of the episodes, uh, you know, one of the things that I remember a lot, and even though they had some of these with the Muppets, too, where they would have like a child sitting with Kermit or with Cookie Monster and discussing something <laughs> where the child would say something just really funny um, or, or just very true, I guess, is what should really should yeah. be said. Um, but they also would have the adults have, um, whether it's Louise playing a guitar or uh, there's something uh, that uh, one of them would lead off of the story or answer or respond to, you know, there's some question that's, you know, that kind of a little heavier topic for whatever. And you could see that interaction happening. Well, you know, with, um, oh, okay. The great example, of course, is uh, Mr. Hooper, the death of Mr. Hooper. Um, Will Lee, who played uh, the caretaker of Hooper's store, he was um, acting on Sesame Street for about 12 years and then died. Uh, also, he was a former actor, but got, um, you know, blacklisted by the McCarthy era. Oh, wow. And that. so to be back on Sesame Street after all this time was just heavenly. But he was the grandfather figure. And when he died, the workshop decided, because it was acquiring affective goals, uh, and as well as teaching uh, cognitive goals, but it was uh, now saying, hey, let's look at death and let's tell them, let's treat this concept head on. And we're not going to say that Mr. Hooper retired or went on vacation. We're going to be honest with the children. And one of the things Fred Rogers said to me is, Seal, 
we need more honest adults in children's lives and in our lives than in their lives. So I was so, that's when I started at the workshop. It was about in 1983. And I was so excited that they were dealing with that instead of, you know, uh, covering it up. So anyway, there's the script that Norman Stiles uh, wrote, and I worked with Norman Stiles. He was the head writer when I was there, and we were going through all the uh, research, and I was making changes. Anyway, great, talented guy. So he wrote this script, and it goes with Big Bird being an artist, and he's drawing all these pictures of the uh, of the people of, you know, the people there in the neighborhood. And so Maria and, and Mr. Hooper and so forth. So he gives out the pictures to Bob and Maria and Gordon. And then he goes, well, where is Mr. Hooper? And he would go and kid him and call him Mr. Looper, Mr. Hooper. You know? right. And any rate, and and they come up and and Susan comes up and says, or Maria and says, don't you remember Big Bird? Mr. Hooper died. And he says, oh, I'll give him the picture when he comes back. And then another actor, uh, actress comes up and or actor and says, or Bob comes up and says something like, you know, when a person dies, they don't come back. And then Big Bird gets it. He hears them, he reflects on it, and he says, never, never, never. And so everybody after that first take, and they only did one take, had tears in their eyes, and it was one of the best, best uh, episodes um, that they did. I can imagine. And, uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> You bring tears to my eyes with with that. Story. I know it, it. It was it was beautiful and what a guy, you know. Um, and uh, Carol Spinney said to me, you know, as he's he wasn't feeling well leading up to this, and he'd say to, you know, he'd kind of kid him or, or or make him feel a little bit better and say, "Oh yeah, Mr. Hooper, Looper, Stuper." <laughs> He even called him Pooper. Nice. <laughs> it's nice. okay. And, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. But he had at least 12 good, wonderful years working again on Sesame And he was so loved. You can't ask for anything better than that. Nope, not at all. That's so cool. No. So cool. And, and it's just amazing the types of topics that they did deal with, you know, through the puppets and the humans on there and being able to address his death. Cause yeah, most shows would have said that he went away, you know, took a vacation, gone away, moved away or something like that. So, but. Uh, well, it's time to be honest with kids because they know the difference. And that is a wonderful, um, a wonderful respect for them. This is when you're respecting that they can tolerate and understand and, you know, they, they can, they can go there just like adults and sometimes even better than adults. Very much so. Very much. Yeah. So. The truth will set you free. You got that right. And so, yeah. Um, Sesame street and captain kangaroo and, uh, and, uh, Mr. Oh. Rogers neighborhood, they all use TV as their media to talk with kids and teach them. 
So what do you think? Does, so does that prove that TV could be used for good? <laughs> oh, yeah. First of all, with Sesame Street, it was created in the latter part of the 60s. And we all know there was this can-do in the air. And especially with the creators of Sesame Street, we, they didn't like what was children's television at the time. We had Peggy Sharon action for children's television coming out. Uh, man was walk man had already walked on the moon. There was the civil rights movement in a very big way. And there was also the Surgeon General's um, book on uh, television television violence. And so the workshop said, hey, we can do something better. Let's prove it. There's a need here and let's fulfill that need and let's have television reach its potential. And so by uh, educating uh, children uh, via television, they were able to prove that yes, it can reach its potential, it can be done, but um, they had to go there. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we're getting closer to wrapping up and uh, what lessons for working with children do you think should be paid attention to? I mean, after 50 plus years of Sesame Street, I mean, there's there's gotta be some lessons that uh, just you just wish people would pay attention to that came out of the workshop. What do you think? Oh, yes, yes. First of all, I would love to see more Sesame Streets. <laughs> okay. I mean, for the older ones too, seven to 12 years old, um, that would be wonderful, but even some more for, for preschoolers. So, um, but you know, a lot of, uh, when I was going to universities and talking to uh majors in television, a lot is not being encouraged. You know, they want the, the late show, the night show. So one of the lessons they have to learn is how impactful Sesame Street was to their lives. And why not go ahead and create that even though it doesn't have the prestige of the late show. In other words, let's do some groundbreaking here. Let's rise television up. Sesame Street rose children's television to such heights. And so did Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Captain Kangaroo. But let's do more. Let's do more. A uh, little uh, more life people needs to be on a children's program to show the things I stated, like tolerance, um, like uh, not, not bullying, um, to deal with some of the issues that the seven through 12 year olds are dealing with, cooperation, charity, um, or giving, being generous, and so forth. And you can only do that with live people. So there's got to be a healthy mixture. There's still too much animation. I agree, I agree. It's, uh, before we finish up, because I have a few more questions to ask you, uh, um, Dr. Lucille, would, would you like to share something about your pamphlet, uh, 52 Tips for Parents Guide Your Child to Safe TV and Electronic Media? Yes, I would love to. The reason I did it is because we need to have media literacy. Just like reading and writing, there's a plethora of media out there and parents have to know how to handle it and to be very literate in reading and writing it and working with it and using it. And they have to know that media is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's a communication. 
It's a way of communicating instead of, oh, let's go there with the latest this or that and so forth. The other thing is too, with the new, uh, with the iPhone and gaming consoles and so forth, they're very addictive. And um, I have read studies where the manufacturers of these uh, devices talk about how they incorporate an addictive element into them. So we need, we need to look at that and to be judicious in, in using them and to know that addiction is a very big, real concern. Is- also, there were other tips um, that, hey, how do you create a balance as a parent? Um, I see my son um, do it every day. My granddaughter does not have an iPhone and she is 13 years old. Um, And there are various reasons. So it's to, I did this booklet so it would be simple and straightforward and they could start implementing these things and say, hey, this is a good idea or my life is better this way. And again, it comes down to really parenting and saying, hey, you, you can't have this imbalance. It's, it's bad for the kids and you have to know why. I mean, you know, we have, um, and also on the internet, it's like the wild west out there. You got everybody out there and they're not necessarily good people. So you don't want, we tell our children not to talk to strangers, but then we leave them with strangers via the um, internet, the iPhone or the iPad or whatever, or laptop. So everything has to be, and again, a a parent always has to intervene, but I think I want to emphasize, especially now with the media, because the health of your child is really at stake here. It's a little bit too much. Very powerful. Very powerful. Well, Dr. Lucille, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Oh, okay. I do have a website, but I really like them to just um, connect with me on my email. Um, The website is fine, but it's undergoing some construction. So I'm just a very personable person. And so they could go to um, D like in doctor, R like in red, L like in Lucille, Burbank, like in L.A., B-U-R-B-A-N-K at gmail.com. And I will get right back to them. Very nice. And I'll make sure that's in my show notes so that they can uh, find you there. So I got, I got two last questions that are questions sure. I like to ask my guests. And they go like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Oh, oh, there's always this little thing of never, never, never give up. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what it is, really? It's I love my work. You know, I'm passionate about my work. I'm having a ball. You can tell, you know, all this nostalgia. And I love what these programs have done and how good they've been, and the people. Oh my gosh, the people are just, I'm so honored to be in their presence and to have interviewed them. They have raised me up, so to speak. 
and um, I always will appreciate them. By the way, too, they'd love to talk. I mean, my interviews were three, three to four hours each. Wow. I just let them talk. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. That's so, that's so cool. I can only imagine. <laughs> I got a last question for you, and it goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank oh, you? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Isn't that beautiful? That's such a great question. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I always feel great questions are spiritual. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so thank you. Yeah, when I was, um, when I started out, I went to junior college. Um, I didn't go to a four-year university for a number of reasons. But at any rate, um, it was uh, Endicott uh, College for Women. And I loved at that time being at an all-woman school because I could concentrate and not be distracted. <laughs> at any rate, um, it was only two years, and you would work, you would have an internship in your field of study. So I started out in, um, in child, uh, early childhood education. And it wasn't quite working for me, but it was all right. And then... Professor Eileen Nealon, she taught a class in children's literature, and I took her class, and she, and she was the head of the radio and TV department at Endicott. So we're going there, and she's saying, I want you to act out this, I want you to tell this, I want you to do this, and lo and behold, after taking her class, she said to me, you know, I think you're in the wrong major. <laughs> I think you need to go to TV and radio. And at 19 years of age, I found what I most love to do. I was home. Awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Dr. Lucille Burbank, you know, it's been so cool talking with you today. I mean, the Inside Secrets of Sesame Street, third edition, is amazing. And, 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 you know, Sesame Street made such an incredible impact on children from all over the world, continues to do so. And, uh, you know, your book is a pleasure to read and a key to understanding what was happening and why the show, along with others like Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, made such a difference. I'm wishing you all the best in all you do. Thank you so much. It's been, you're, you're just a wonderful interviewer. So it's been heavenly and you can tell I've had a great time. Hey, did you know that you can buy me a soft drink? That's right. By going to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Maletto, you can support Teaching Learning Leading K-12 by making a donation. And it's really cool. We got this little cool uh, soft drink cup right there. <laughs> that would be so awesome if you do that. Go to buymeacoffee.com dot com slash Stephen Maletto, and you can help support Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. <laughs> The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.